Hello everyone and welcome to episode one of the Performance Principles podcast. As a brief introduction, I'm Richard Jones and I'm a former professional cricketer and current coach on the player pathway at Warwickshire County Cricket Club, predominantly specialising in fast bowling. Now the idea behind starting this podcast uh, is to explore the interacting principles that govern the performance of elite players. We'll look at how the technical, tactical, psychological and physical attributes of performers interact, discuss best practices to develop each of these principles and how players can best focus their efforts during training and games. I'm hoping to be able to bring you guests not just from the cricketing world, but from various other sports and in various different roles, so coaches as well as players. Right, let's get stuck in with the first episode of the Performance Principles podcast. Today's guest is Warwickshire and England's fast bowling all-rounder Chris Wokes. Since his county debut at the age of 17, Chris has taken almost 850 wickets in all formats, with nearly 250 of these playing for England in over 130 games for his country. He's also scored almost 6,000 first-class runs with 10 hundreds, including one test century at Lords, the home of cricket. He's also featured in two seasons of the IPL with Bangalore and Calcutta, taking 25 wickets in 18 games. Chris is one of only five players in the history of world cricket to feature on all three honours boards at Lords for taking five wickets in an innings, ten wickets in a match and scoring a century. He's a great bloke, a good mate and it was an honour for him to be my first guest. So without further ado, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy. Right, Wokesy. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, mate. Um, great to see you. Nice to see you still got the beard as well, mate. <laughs> mate, I tell you what, this this was whipped off in in Sri Lanka. Um, <laughs> lockdown has just let me get get a bit lazy again, so it's grew back. Nice. It's a strong lock, I reckon. I'm, I think I'm just a bit jealous. <laughs> um, <laughs> mate, mate, what... Looks alright. I'm keeping it. <laughs> Um, you've just mentioned it there, mate. We might might as well start off. Um, obviously, you boys were in Sri Lanka when it all started to to kick off. So, what was that like being being out there? Yeah, it was um, it's a bit strange, really. I think I don't know. I don't know whether it's I suppose a typical UK way of looking at this. So this whole thing was like when we flew out there, probably didn't really think it was a huge deal. You know what I mean? Like we'd had had a brief from the medical officers and all uh, you know medical staff, and you know they were obviously relatively serious with it all. Um, and we'd kind of been told what we could and couldn't do. You know, we've been told no shaking hands, you know, limit contact as much, much as possible. Um, be careful on, on travel, you know, particularly with the airports and stuff like that. Be as clean as you can. But you kind of, I don't know, as a player, you're kind of in your own little bubble. You know, we were just kind of focused on, you know, what was ahead. And, you know, we got to Sri Lanka and you could feel it. Actually, in Sri Lanka, it was fine. Like, there was no real issues. But you could feel it bubbling from back home. Um, I think we'd been there for about a week and then it got labelled an official pandemic. And then, you know, there was whispers at breakfast, you know, God, is the tour going to be canned? You know, is, are we going to go ahead? So once that crept in, I think the tour was always going to be hard to, to go through with. Um, and then, to be honest, it, it all turned around pretty quick. You know, the one morning, um, Gurge was giving us a bit of a briefing and we'd, we'd started a first-class warm-up game. And then I think it was day two, um, around lunchtime, we, you know, we kind of knew in the morning that it was it was going that direction, but we got the, got the call and we got whipped off the field, and then we were on the flight the next day. So it's all a bit bit strange, mate. Really, 
What's it been like? So obviously being locked down has affected everyone around the country, around the world. But what's it been like for you boys? Because obviously coming off the back yeah. of that, that hectic summer, um, in many yeah. ways, it, it might have or probably has been quite a, a nice little break for you boys. Yeah, definitely. A bit, bit, bit sweet, actually, because I was actually intending on having a bit of time, time off. Anyway, I don't know if you'd seen, but I'd, um, I'd kind of pulled out the IPL just, um, just before I went to, well, actually just as I arrived in Sri Lanka told Delhi that I wasn't going to fulfill my contract to try and just have a bit of a breather um, we just found out that Amy was was pregnant um, so she was having you know a bit of a rough time at home and the thought of being away for, in Sri Lanka for four or five weeks followed by the IPL for another seven weeks so being away from home for that sort of period of time I just kind of thought you know it wasn't going to be ideal um, and kind of tried to put family first and then I thought you know it'd be a good break for me anyway and then all of a sudden this this happens um, and in hindsight I probably didn't need to do it but you know I think it's been been quite nice actually to a certain extent I've been able to have a bit of time off spend time at home with the family you know be a, a proper parent realize actually what what the wife goes through um, on a regular basis and yeah it's just been nice to, to just be a normal a normal guy for a change rather than being on the road in hotels and don't be wrong, I don't, I don't dislike our lifestyle because we're very lucky to do what we do. But at the same time, it is nice to just have a little bit of normality and um, spend some time at home. And I think, you know, I had a bit of a break and then now kind of back into some training. Um, been trying to keep fit along the way. But, you know, it is a bit tricky when you're just trying to do gym sessions in your garage and you haven't got quite the right equipment. And, you know, getting out on the roads, doing some running, doing some cycling. So been able to keep fit, but um, you know more than anyone, keeping cricket fit, particularly bowling fit, is actually quite tricky. So um, I wasn't you know, great at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, you're good enough. You're good enough. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's one of them. I think I, I'm I'm ready to get back to bowling, and I know it's going to hurt the first few sessions. You know, it's like after a decent break, and then you come back to bowling. It's a bit tricky. So um, quite looking forward to just getting the ball back in hand, really. Yeah, awesome, mate. And and obviously just touched on that summer that you've always had the the highs and lows that you went yeah. through in you know the world cup and then the ashes you know some of the emotions that you boys would have went through just absolutely spine tingling to watch so god knows what it was like as a, as a player so just looking back now so if we're thinking about the world cup you know i think it's 10 months on what was that tournament like to be a part of because obviously the expectation from the the fans of the country and the media was was very real and you know it was yeah. four years hard work four years planning of you know, putting a team together to win the World Cup. And obviously you, you were serious contenders, if not favourites at the start of the tournament. Yeah. So what, what was that whole uh, passage of, uh, or that period of time, what was that like as a player? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you've touched on it well there, actually, kind of. It was a, it was a journey from, from four years previous. You know, we, a lot of the players, I know we only made 15 in the squad for the World Cup, but, you know, unfortunately a few missed out. Um, but there was a group of, say, 20 to 25 players that have been a part of that squad for four years. And it'd been a really good journey to be a part of that team that kind of transformed the way England played ODI cricket. You know, it was great to, to be a part of, and I was proud to be a part of that, that journey. Um, and then the actual pre-World Cup um, feel was, was quite strange because it was obviously, you know, a squad had to be picked. You know, only 15 could make the squad. Um, and naturally, everyone, you know, my bar of bar a few, probably didn't feel like they were absolute nailed on to be in the squad. So that Pakistan series pre prior to the actual World Cup starting was quite intense. You know, although it was a great atmosphere in the group, everyone, you know, the usual sort of team culture and atmosphere was great. 
you just felt that people were kind of a little bit worried and a little bit wary of, you know, not making the squad, um, which I suppose is a shame because it would have been great to take more players into that World Cup, but unfortunately not allowed. So that series was a little bit tricky and you felt like you had to perform, you know, try and get yourself in that 11 or in that 15 for the World Cup. So once I was named in that squad and I think the squad settled down, I think we had a really good atmosphere in the, within the group. We knew what the, what the goal was and we knew that if we didn't go all the way, we probably see it as a bit of a disappointment. You know, we, we expected ourselves as a team to, to go all the way. There's no doubt about that. And we've got a confident group. By no means, I'd say, is it you know, a cocky or an arrogant group, but we'd got to number one in the world because we were the best and we'd beat everyone across the world in that, in that four-year period. But we also knew that the pressure of a World Cup at home is a completely different kettle, you know, different, it's a different ball game isn't it, at the end of the day. So, yeah, we were favourites, but I think the great thing about being favourites was we knew we were good enough to, to have that tag on our head. And, you know, Morgs was brilliant and so was Trevor as coach. Um, they kind of led us down the route that, you know, we are going to be talked up as favourites. You know, we are going to be, you know, have that tag on our heads and the press are going to talk it up. But we've just got to try and embrace it. We haven't got to play it down. We've earned the right to be the favourites. And we've got to go out and play, play like we are, um, like we are favourites. And to be honest, we bar a couple of hiccups, you know, which you're going to get in a long tournament. We were, we were brilliant. And I think the main thing about that, that tournament was we peaked at the right times. People talk about knockout cricket being different uh, and you have to peak at the right times. And we, we did that like perfectly, to be honest. So um, on, on the morning of the final, obviously, uh, at yeah. the awards, like obviously the biggest stage that you could ever possibly think of, World Cup final at yeah. Lords. What was the atmosphere like around the group? You know, was it, was it business as usual? Was it cliche of just another game or, or yeah. was there, were there more nerves flying around? Yeah, I think naturally there was more more nerves kicking around. I, you know, I don't remember a huge amount about the morning, about being at the hotel um, and going down for breakfast and things like that. I don't remember a huge amount of that, um, which probably suggests I was quite nervous, really. And, you know, you kind of just find ways to get through it. And like any game, really, I, I'm just keen to get to the ground and get started, start your prep, start your routines. And it was no different, really, to be honest with you. That's that point. I mean, of course you knew in the back of your mind it was such a big occasion. You want to almost just click your fingers and know the result at the end of the day and almost just simulate it, just go, right, and tell me what happened. But it was, it was brilliant, man. I mean, we had a great, as I touched on, I think the group was quite a laid-back group, some very chilled-out characters that just have a laugh and a joke. And I think those characters within the group really helped the atmosphere on the day. You know, we turn up at the ground, there's a bit of drizzle in the air, there's a bit of rain around. And I think it just it just slowed the proceedings down. I think that in fact, I think the toss might have been delayed by 15, 20 minutes as well. Yeah. It just kind of like instead of it actually, you know, instead of you know you wanted to get out there and start, but I think it just calmed people's nerves a bit, a little bit, you know, just having a little bit of more of a chill, a bit more of a relax. It wasn't so intense. Um, but then I think once the coin went up, it was like right, it's business as usual here. Like of course it's a big World Cup final, and it's a huge occasion, but. We do have to go out there and just deliver our skills. Like that's what you've learned to do over however long your career is. You know, it's 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 the day job. You've got to go out there and just produce your try and produce your best, which you try and do every time you go on the field, I suppose. Yeah, amazing. So then no, if we fast forward to sort of like the last few overs of, of Aaron's chasing, you know, what was that like watching from the dressing room? Yeah. because um, again, as a fan watching back home, the roller coaster of emotions that I was going through and probably the whole country. What was it like as a player in the dressing room? And, you know, what, what, what was the chat flying around? Yeah, 
mean, it was it was just like I try and think back to that dressing room now. It was just so tense, really. I mean, no one knew what was going to happen. I think there was times. I think you know we'd lost a few quick wickets. Um, you know, when we lost Joss, I went out. I got out like I only placed last a couple of balls or whatever. I tried to launch one. Which, <laughs> oh, tried to be a hero and just got lost. <laughs> Way. But to be honest, I don't. I don't. I don't um, I'm not annoyed at myself with the way I, I got out that, that day because you know Stokes, who was at the other end, he was. He was just. I. I felt like he was in such a zone that he was. He was gonna. He was gonna see us through. Or he was gonna be there at the end. He was gonna give us a chance. And he kind of said to me when he got in the middle, he said, "Look, mate, give yourself a couple of balls, and then we've got to go. We've got to really give this a give a nudge." So you know, I, I didn't. You know, I wasn't annoyed with the way I got out of it, but I think. Once we'd lost a few quick wickets there, I think the dressing room kind of felt like, you know, it was just, it was slipping away. But obviously, the, with what happened in the last over, I mean, two dot balls. Yeah. And you just start at that point now, like, it, it, it's gone. Like, there's no way we can get over the line. And yeah. I remember saying to the dressing room at that moment, I said, if we hit two boundaries, we still win the game. And, you know, still, in, in the last over of a game, when everyone, someone's trying to hit the ball out of the park, every ball, you know, particularly with Stokes at the crease, I was like, we could still hit two boundaries here and we've got a sniff. But I did not expect to happen what happened next. I mean, Trent Bolt... Stand- it's just absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? What happened? Yeah. I watched the, I watched the highlights uh, last night just um, thinking about, you know, what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, it's just absolutely ridiculous what happened yeah. in those last four balls. And the fact that it's in a World Cup final, like, and that we was involved in and it's you know, an England World Cup at home, at Lords. Just added to the occasion, and you know, Stokes he hits that one. Trent Bolt steps on the rope, and even at that point, you're still thinking, "Well, we still need a couple of boundaries, or you know, a decent, a decent knock here from a couple of couple of balls or whatever." I just what happened next with the ball being thrown from an 80-yard boundary to land on Stokes' back like that, and him actually like I've watched this back so many times. Like as he hits his back, like he's obviously not watching. Like there's no way he's watching or seen it or tried to do it or anything like that. It was pure, like the timing. Oh, mate, he, <laughs> that, timed, he timed the pants off it, didn't he? With well, the back of his back. I, I, I said to him, in, I said, I said, is there anyone else in the dressing room that dived there? And it maybe bar Joss, maybe, who'd have dived and it hit their back. It had knocked their back out of the hand. Like, <laughs> not just like, he's he just like, he kept his back in his hand. It hit the middle and it pissed off a four. It's like, it's just who, not unheard of. Literally who, unheard of. Who lost it the most when that happened? So I'm, so, I, you know, I was in, I was in my kitchen. I was, I couldn't even sit down. I was pacing around. I mean, this is this is ridiculous because, you know, what you know what Lords is like. The balcony is tiny anyway. Yeah. You can like it's a cram to get on the balcony at the best of times. So you can imagine <laughs> in a World Cup final, there was no chance you were getting on the balcony. It was full. It was packed to the rafters. Who's on the balcony and, then? Who was who was on the balcony? So, well, I put put uh, Liam Plunkett, Owen Morgan were in the corner on the left. Then. It was like coach. I think I think Trevor Bailey always sits on the balcony, so he was on the balcony. Can't remember who was on the other side, but just behind the balcony in the doorway, which you, you obviously know from the doors dressing room, there was Graham Thorpe, and was it Mo? No, Mo was down on the balcony. There was, there was someone else next to next to Graham Thorpe. I can't remember exactly because my, my, my memory is not great. But as the ball got hit, like because I didn't know what was happening, so I was trying to look through the window and I couldn't really see what had happened. And I could see the ball like trickling towards the boundary. And Trev was starting to get revved up going, go on, like, go on. Like he was like wishing a, like a horse to get over the line. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Thorpey, like Graham Thorpe of all people, 
was jumping up and down going, it's a six, it's a six. Like this. I was just like, at that point, I was like, hang on, we need three. Like, we need three off two balls. I was like, there's no way we're not winning this now. But it's it just, just utter madness. I'd love to go back to the dressing room and just it'd almost be a fly on the wall and just watch it for forever, to be honest with you. It'd be incredible to watch that back. I think I read somewhere as well that um, uh, Josh Butler just sort of out of character just started whacking the physio bed or something. Yeah, so uh, well, this is quite a strange one because like, Josh is very calm, chill character. And um, he got out and obviously I went out to bat. And when he came in, he said, uh, Woody uh, told me, he said, I've never seen Joss react like that. Like he was lost his shit big time. Like he was just hitting the physio. I think he was sat on the physio bed, like headbutt in the physio bed. Like, and I didn't know this until the time, but Joss had never won a final until the World Cup final. Like Joss had been in God knows how many finals with Somerset, with Lanks. And th- sorry, he won one. He won um, a T20 finals day with Lanks not that long ago. Um, but before that, he'd lost about, I think it was like six or seven finals. So he was like, he was like, oh, well, um, if, if I don't win this one, he, he actually interviewed and said, if I don't win this one, the World Cup, it's like, it's just not meant to be for me. I don't know how I'd get over it. Like, I might have to retire type thing. And he was, he just lost it. Yeah. I think he just wouldn't, he obviously had almost the game in his palm of his hands and then got out. Um, I think he just felt like he wouldn't have been able to live with himself if we hadn't got over the line. But Joss was going nuts and no one had ever seen, really seen him acts like that so yeah now we win the super over so like um i think i've read reports as well like of, of, of joffre walking up to to morgan and it becoming apparent that it was going to be going to be joffre was there any any sort of doubt yeah. was there any any of the bowlers that you sell i think woody was injured wasn't he so it wasn't going to be woody yeah yeah, yeah, were, yeah. Were, you, well, were you thinking oh this could be me or, or what was what was going nah, on well, I mean, to be honest, at that point, I suppose you try and put yourself in the captain's shoes, don't you? you think, what's he want, really? What, who's, he, who's he want to buy last over? Who would I want to buy last over? And apart from the fact that I backed myself, I would have chose Joffre, no doubt. He's our best death bowler. Um, you know, he gives you the most, probably, surprise. He can bowl 90 mile an hour. There's no doubt it was the right, right decision. But um, don't get me wrong, there was a little bit of relief when he tapped Joffre on the shoulder and said, mate, you're going to bowl. Or do you fancy it, type thing. Um, um, of course, like, I mean, the thing is, if Joffre hadn't been in the squad, you know, obviously he came to the squad late. Uh, yeah, for, for Dave Willie, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it probably, it probably would have been myself. So, you know, I, I definitely a bit of relief that I didn't have to bowl that. Just because of the fact, of course, it's great if you come out on top. But, you know, if you don't, unfortunately, you're going to have to live with that forever. But, of course, yeah. if, if Morgan had asked me, I would have, you know, 100% said yes and, and put my hand up and give it my best, best shot type thing. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and being in the field, where, where were you in the field for that last over? Uh, I was fine leg. So I was fine leg for all of the deliveries that uh, Nisham faced. Uh, and then obviously for the right-hander for the last ball, I was at fine leg as well. You know what? I couldn't remember. Someone said to me, where were you for the last ball? And I said, I said well, I was at fine leg, but I can't remember if I was up or I was back. Or back. Uh, yeah. And I was back. Yeah, I was back. But the only way I could remember was by watching it back on the... Uh, <laughs> On the, on the thing because obviously when, when the ball when Joss took the took the bails off I was I was inside the 30 inside the 30 yard circle so like as soon as the ball was hit out to deep mid wicket I obviously just started charging in regardless where the ball had gone so um, I couldn't remember whether I was in the circle or on the fence but I was on the fence yeah amazing amazing stories mate brilliant brilliant stuff 
Right, we're going to go right back to the start now. So the opposite opposite end of the spectrum, and talk about your yeah. your background, your early sporting life, and and you know what sports yeah. you played as a kid, and how you got into yeah. cricket. Yeah, well, I mean, I've always been a sporting child, mate. Really, or I was always a sporty child. I think you know, it was always always had a a ball to to knock around with as a kid. You know, dad was always putting balls in my hands or balls at my feet, and you know, it was just kind of the way of life really from a very young age and you know I have two two half brothers who 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 played football and cricket um who are quite a bit older than me but as a young young lad I used to go and watch them you know when I was about six seven eight I used to go and watch them play club cricket and kind of got into cricket that way really that was when I first went to the cricket club and started just knocking around on the side throwing the ball around then went to the youth system and played in the on like a Friday night and had some coaching and a bit of a laugh with some mates and stuff. Um, but also I loved my football. Um, you know, football was something which I wouldn't say it was drilled into me, but I obviously just in, enjoyed it as a kid. So mum and dad kind of just followed me down that route. I had a couple of mates at school that were a part of a, a, sun, a local Sunday team. So I kind of tagged along with them, gave that a go. Um, that's where I started to play football properly. Um, and then same at school. I mean, I, I went to a school where cricket wasn't huge at all. You know, if we played one game a summer, it would have been a bonus. Um, you know, football, rugby, those were the were the sports that you kind of played. So I didn't really play much in PE either. So um, it was all through club cricket, my uh, my cricket, really. So was that, um, was that Warmley or Great Bar? Uh, so I started my cricket at Aston Manor, which is, yeah, oh, okay. Great Bar, Bar Peri, it's more Perry Bar down by uh, Alexander Stadium in Birmingham. And it's a nice little good game. They had a great youth set up, you know, some really good coaches. But at the time, I just, I just enjoyed being part of a team and playing sport. You know, you must have been the same. And I know a lot of people who I speak to were the same. They just played because they loved playing with their mates. You know, it was, it was quite a, a good way of meeting new friends, making new friends. I'm sure, you know, parents would, were doing the same, really, making friends from, from, um, from taking us to, like, you know, club sports and things like that. But, you know, I'm really grateful for the fact that my parents, you know, took me to those things because, you know, it's almost, it's that's what shaped my life, really, by yeah. playing sport at a young age. And you, um, am I right in thinking you played for Warsaw? Yeah, yeah. Did you play for Warsaw? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I played, football was my was my passion, mate, until I was probably 13, 14. Well, I say that, football's still, football's still my passion now, but... You know, I, it switched when I was about 13, 14. My cricket was going in that direction and, you know, my was definitely getting better and my, my football was probably going in the opposite direction. And I felt like at the time, you know, that age group of around about 13, 14, as a footballer, you need to kind of be quite physical. Um, you know, lads start growing, um, you know, as you go through those teenage years. And I was quite probably a late developer, really. I didn't really grow that big and certainly outgrown by a few of the guys around me so I kind of just didn't enjoy being bullied on the park um so kind of just like lent towards cricket a little bit more and that's when my cricket kind of excelled a little bit I kind of probably put more concentration into that more time and effort into that fortunately got off on to the uh Warwickshire Academy and from there really just I just developed as a cricketer I think you know put more time and effort into that along with some schoolwork Football then took a bit of a, a breather. I told my dad that you know I wasn't really enjoying my football, and you know thankfully my, my old man and you know my mum I suppose were, were behind me and said you know if it's if it's too much for you and you're not enjoying it then why are you doing it type thing you know as a 13 14 year old you should be doing stuff that you enjoy and 
you know, thankfully for them, they said, you know, do what makes you happy. And at the time, that was cricket. So, you know, thankfully I decided to go down that route, um, you know, because I'm not sure where I'd be in the football world right now, to be honest with you. I'd probably be on the, on the scrappy somewhere. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. If you sort of, again, fast forward a little bit and think about when, yeah. you, when you first started playing for Warwickshire, I think you made your debut, was it 2006? Yeah, uh, yeah and, that's right. And then, you, and then you started playing more regularly the, the next year, so that's like 17, 18. So yeah. when, you, when you first started playing around that time, um, from, a, from a tactical point of view as a bowler, yeah. were you comfortable with the, with the tactical aspect of, of bowling or, or cricket in general, but more so with the ball in your hand? Were you, were you comfortable yeah. with that, that tactical aspect straight away? So, you know, working the batsman out during a spell or, or an innings, yeah. recognising yeah. when to attack and, and when to be happy to, to do a holding role. What was yeah. the balance back then? Did it come to you naturally or, or were you reliant on those senior players? Yeah, no, completely rely on the senior players, I reckon. I think, you know, I look back to my early days with the Warwickshire team and I remember my, I made my debut in 2006 against the tour side against West Indies. And it was always just, I think they threw me in just to see how I'd react, you know, see how I would, how I would um, you know, perform against such a side. Because uh, I was still very young then. Um, but the following year when I started making my championship debut, you know, I still felt like the the gulf between myself both tactically and just as a performer was I was still way off the pace you know we played my first championship game was against um Surrey <clears throat> and Mark Ramprakash you know whacked whacked it to all parts I think he got 180 odd Alfonso Thomas was playing for Warwickshire at the time he dropped him on 90 odd and it was the biggest goober you would ever see like the biggest easiest chance you'll ever see and he goes on to double his score which I suppose you think, oh, I dropped him on 90, that's not bad, but he went on to get 180, so it's <laughs> um, a bit of a stinker. But yeah, I just remember being out of my depth, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was, I think we were getting relegated that year, or we, we'd already been relegated, so maybe that was why they, they threw me in. But I just felt like at that point, I still needed a lot, I needed a lot of learning. Um, there was still a lot of development to do. Um, and like you touched on, from a tactical point of view, I just... You know, when you when you play youth cricket and you play almost and second level cricket to a certain extent at the time, it was such a big step up to to you know to playing first class against these guys that played international cricket. So I think I was I was leaning a lot on on experienced players to give me advice. You know, I thankfully in those in that team we, you know, we had the likes of uh, who would have been there: Neil Carter, Jimmy Anion was playing there at the time, Trotty. Belly, Trouts, I know they weren't there all the time because they had England commitments and stuff, but there were guys that I kind of knew a little bit from being around um, the staff a bit. And, you know, it was good to lean on them, really, I suppose, just for some, some ideas because, as you touched on, I think tactically I had a lot to learn, a serious amount to learn. Did you play much second team cricket during that stage? Or um, were you, did you, were you sort of fast-tracked? Because obviously the 2007 yeah. season, you played, did you play quite a lot in the 2007 season? 17, I played, I only played one championship game, or might have been two. Uh, and in the following year, I think I played 10 or 11 or so. Yeah. Um, so probably the 18 season was probably more of a breakthrough because I actually, I kept my place in the team and I actually performed, you know, well as well. Whereas before that, it was just a taster, to be honest with you, because as I touched on, I was behind the, behind the, the pace, really. Um, but it, it's a tricky one because I think, I, I genuinely believe the only way you learn in those situations is by getting getting out there and experiencing it. You know, you, 
sometimes it's 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 great to say you need to do this, you need to learn that. But until you get out there in the heat of the battle and figure out for yourself what it's actually like, it's hard to develop and hard to, you know, I suppose teach yourself what what you need and, and what's required. So um, for me, that that series season of just getting in and having a couple of games was actually probably a real big breakthrough because um, it just made me just realise what I needed to to do and what I needed to get better at. So obviously, you, it seems like you well, obviously you did take to it quite quickly, and you were able to yeah. learn almost on 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 the fly, really, uh, and take mm. to uh, being a first class cricketer really quickly. What is it about your makeup? Do you think that allowed you to to sort of take to it so quickly? Do you think it was like a combination of the technical and tactical, uh, and you know, a bit of the psychological stuff as well? Yeah, again, I think it. Don't get me wrong. I think along the the way, I probably had a little bit of luck. In particular, my breakthrough year when I, uh, I said the eighteen season where I played ten or twelve games on the spin and performed really well. Um, I played away at Gloucester, and was it in Salisbury? Yeah, in Salisbury. The reason I played was because Ian Salisbury, the leggy, had injured. Um, I think he'd, he'd rolled his ankle or something the day before, and I played uh, and did okay. I didn't do anything you know, anything too special or played reasonably well. I think I took two wickets in the first innings, maybe one in the second, held my own type thing. And in the next game, Souls was fit. And I thought, oh, well, I'm going to step out and Souls is going to, you know, come back in type thing. Uh, and they didn't. Souls did come back in, but I played instead of someone else. I can't remember who was at the time. But I remember thinking at that moment in time, I remember thinking, well, if they're dropping X for me and bringing in souls for that person rather than me, instead of just doing a straight swap, they must believe that I've got something or they believe I'm good enough to perform at that level. And then that game away at Glamorgan when souls came back in and I kept my place, I think I took, took eight, eight in the game. I think I took five first innings and three second innings. And from there, then on that game, I just didn't look back. I feel like that it was that moment where, you know, I look back and think, well, they could have dropped me there. And, he thought, I oh, know, drop the youngster back in, bring in the, the you know the old school pros, play for England, um, you know. And I suppose is that a bit of luck? Is that because they thought I they knew I was going to be good? I don't know, but I think in terms of my makeup and the way I the way I play, I've always you know I believe I play now almost like the way I did when I was that age as well. I kind of just try and take every single game as it comes keep that mindset of, you know, every time you walk out, you give your best, regardless of who you're playing for. You know, of course, I've, I've played for England and it doesn't mean that when I play for Warwickshire, it doesn't mean as much, you know, you're always playing for your own pride as well as your own team. Um, and I don't know, I just, that makeup, I suppose, has just been, I'd like to think that's just been installed in me by my parents. You know, it's, it's, it's the way you're brought up. You know, you, I've never been one to be, to be, you know, you don't boast, you don't, you're not arrogant, you try and stay grounded, you know, you don't try and be something you're not, try and be yourself, you know, live in your own skin, be comfortable in your own skin. And I know those things are easy to, to say, they're a lot harder to live by. Um, but that's what's been installed in me and that's the way I've tried to, 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 I suppose, live my life and also play my cricket, which I think in cricket in particular, with it being... You know what it's like, mate. It's such a mental game. You know, you, you, you're playing half of it, if not way more than that, with, with, with what's upstairs. You know, I think that's really helped me, you know, and, and helped my game and helped me, you know, the way I've, I've lived my life and the way my career's progressed. But again, I think, I think it's a little bit of luck. Um, don't get me wrong, I work hard. You know, 
I think you'll find that anyone that's done well in cricket or in sport, they've worked hard for a long period of time to get where they are. It doesn't just happen. Um, you know, because in particular in cricket, you see a lot of guys that are extremely talented but don't go anywhere. Um, you know, and that's the majority of the time because of a lack of work ethic. So, um, yeah, I think it's a combination of things, mate. But again, I still think there's a little bit of luck involved, definitely. Awesome, mate. Awesome. Um, you touched on it a little bit there. You, you know, spoke about your your character and your makeup. You know, anyone who's anyone who knows you or has played with you, played with you or against you, you know, they'll probably say the same thing that you, unflappable nature, cool, calm, collected. Um, you know, Ashley Giles famously said that he wanted to uh, he wanted to to clone your temperament as a as a template yeah. to all young, all young players. So, um, so have, have there been times in your career, uh, either for Warwickshire or for England, where you've sort of felt yourself slipping away and out of that uh, mindset and you know you've had to work hard to get back under control yeah I suppose so I think there's been times particularly playing for England where you've or particularly I have in particular is kind of you've got that going to that mindset of being a little bit of you know whilst just doubting yourself really having that self-doubt and you know thinking you know am I really good enough to play international cricket for a long period of time and succeed you know um I think that's probably the only times when I've flapped a little bit you know I think as a cricketer and to, to, to or you know, any sportsman to succeed you've got to have that drive to get as good you know, be as good as you can um and also the, the, the drive to win you know the co- competitive nature has to be there as well you know you don't if you if you're happy you know coming second or, or not winning things and you know, generally you're not going to get the best out yourself anyway. So I think I've got that, you know, that drive to win and, and things like that. But there's certainly been times where I've, I've doubted myself. Yeah, and there's still times now, and knowing what I know as a 31-year-old who played X amount of games, there's still, you know, you get in those moments occasionally where you're like, right, what can I do now? You know, what do I do? You, you still, you know, you don't, by no means do you know the, the whole book. You know, you still... You're still working things out, even at, at my age, you know, when I've played a lot. So I think the moments that I've struggled have probably been when I've just probably just doubted myself, you know, as to whether I was good enough to play at the international level. And the only way you get through those periods is by performing. You know, you go out there and before the game, you might doubt yourself, but you go out and you take a few wickets or you perform well or, you know, you score some runs. And then all of a sudden you think, well, what was our what was I worried about? But um, by no means does it mean that I'm, I'm unflappable because I think everyone at some point has had a bit of self-doubt or, you know, a bit unsure whether they can, can develop, deliver their skills or perform well on that, on that stage. For you then, so uh, in those moments where you're speaking about yeah. self-doubt and, you know, the lack of confidence or whatever and doubt yeah. in your ability, what's important for you to make sure, because you said you still have to d- deliver, particularly if you're playing yeah. Finland, what's, what's important yeah. for you to, to be thinking about and to be focusing on in those moments? I think the thing that's helped me, and I've worked with some sports psychs over the years, and I think a lot of the time it's about staying in the moment. And a lot of the time we worry about what could happen rather than actually thinking, right, I'm going to go and deliver the skill. Um, and if you concentrate on delivering your skill and you you execute and it doesn't quite work out, you can still fall back on the fact that you've executed your skill. You've delivered what you wanted to deliver. And I think as a bowler more so, I think we, you kind of forget, you, you want to be able to control everything. And unfortunately, you can't. Once you let go of that ball, it's, it's out of your hands, you know. 
wherever you put that ball, it's then down to the batsman to do what he wants to do with it. So I think those moments um, when they creep in, I've learned over the years to kind of just narrow my focus, um, narrow on the exact thing what I want to deliver. So if I'm at the end of my mark, say, <clears throat> and I'm bowling at one of the best batsmen in the world or whatever, and I'm thinking, well, if I, I kind of kick myself and think, you know, if I'm, if I'm starting to think about if I get it wrong, I try and then narrow my focus even more. So I start thinking, well, let's park that and think, you know, what do I want to hit? Do I want to hit a leg stump Yorker? Do I want to hit an off stump Yorker? Do I want to hit a wide Yorker? Do I want to hit bowler bouncer? Do I want to hit him on the head? Like I want to narrow it down to the, the fine detail so that, you know, if I was to miss, I'm missing small rather than, you know, missing big. Um, and I know that's a bit cliche, the old missing small, missing big, but I think that actually works. You know, having that clear focus and, and narrowing it down to the smallest point possible has really helped me. And that's something which I'm still I'm still learning to 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 to, to work with really I suppose is is being able to how to utilise that well as or as well as I can whilst especially whilst we're in the heat of the battle. So it sounds like it's a mixture of accepting those thoughts and yeah. you know not getting into a frame of mind where you don't want to think those thoughts because like you said even even the best players in the world are going to have moments of self doubt. Yeah. So it's accepting them and parking them, I think you said, uh, and then and then going into like a process goal type thing. Do you have do you have like a checklist? I I don't really so much with you, Jonah. I um I, I've I've worked with with David Young more more recently, who's a sports psych at, at England, um, and I kind of thought I, I spoke he spoke about checklists and things like that, and I said in the past I've worked with checklists, and I just find they don't quite really work for me. It's just as you've touched on, it's kind of, for me, it's more about accepting those thoughts coming in and, and knowing they're going to be there. You know, it's a bit like, <clears throat> it's a bit like, you know, World Cup, starting a World Cup game like we did back last, last year is, is thinking to yourself, well, this is a World Cup game. You know, this is the big, biggest game you're ever going to de deliver, um, play. But then the guy at the other end is going to be just as nervous as you. So, a lot of the time, it's kind of remembering that you know you're not you're not alone. Although it's you that has to deliver that skill, sometimes you've got to try and put yourself in someone else's shoes to realise actually this is just the normal. It's how we get through it and how to deliver it, or sorry, how to deal with it. Um, and you know, I'm still learning to do that now. But the checklist side of things was something which I wanted to stay away from. I didn't want too much things going on in my in my mind. I just wanted to to know that if something like that was to come into my mind. I want to be able to just recognize it and park it. So just recognize that it's going to be there. You know, those doubts are going to come in occasionally, but if you narrow your focus in that moment, all of a sudden you're then, you know, you're, you're, you're solely operating on what you want to deliver rather than thinking about um, the other things that are coming into, into your mind. Yeah. Great insight there. And I think one of the most important things you just touched on there, and it's something that, um, in my you know, short stint so far as a coach with Warwickshire is I try and explain or get across to the players, both batters and bowlers, that the moment that you, you get into, into a way of thinking where you internalise everything and you put pressure on yourself in your own head without seeing the bigger picture, because like you said, your opponent has, has still got the same, it's probably still got the same sort of self-doubts and the same thoughts in yeah. their head. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think what you're trying to get at is being able to to use those doubts in the opposition's head, sort of staying away from from your self doubts and being too internalised with what you've got going on, 
realize that you're yeah. still in a battle and and flip that and try and use that to your advantage definitely yeah i think i think um and i can only talk from a bowler's point of view here i can't really talk from a batter's point of view but i think from a bowler's point of view we kind of overthink things more because of the fact that the batsman the ball the batsman decides what he does on what we do yeah so, so they're like, reactive yeah we almost we dictate which sometimes is not a great place to be and i think you know as a bowler you're always going to dictate because at the end of the day you're the one with the ball you're the one that's got to let go of it before the batsman can do anything um so i think that's the natural way or natural way of a bowler is by putting more pressure on themselves mm. um but i think the good thing that i try and think of is and it's happened quite a few times on what i've tried to learn is when things aren't going so well is try and even in the you know when you're in the heat of the battle or whatever and you're in the middle and you've, you've got the ball in your hand you're at the end of your mark is think of the times when you when you run up to bowl and you'll know as well as a bowler is when it, when things are absolutely brilliant like you literally just turn around you run in and you know where it's going to go you know where it's going to land it feels effortless he's trying to think of those moments because that's when bowling's easy like that is the easiest time you will ever bowl and if you think of those times I, th- I i just feel like there's a connection if you can think those thoughts they're positive thoughts they'll just have a natural positive way on the way you think and, <clears throat> and then the way you deliver the ball of course it doesn't mean that you if you're feeling bad that day it doesn't mean you're going to be able to execute the yorkers but it just gives you i think that little bit of i don't know i suppose that that feeling that it has been good before so why can't it be you know it only takes one delivery to get back to that so I sometimes just try and think of the positive things rather than those negatives. And, you know, of course you have to accept those negatives, but, um, you know, I think thinking of the positive things a lot more, especially when you're out there in the middle can be beneficial. So I think you touched on there about being in the bubble and, and obviously those, those sort of performances, you know, from my, from my experience as a player, quite few and far between. So what would you say your, your, um, your biggest sort of bubble of performance was? Yeah, um, I can think. I think I was. Uh, I don't know if I was playing that day, but we played against Durham. You got that nine for. Yeah, that yes, must have been. Yeah. That must have been just like you must have been expecting yeah. to get a wicket every ball there. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? How it works because prior to that, prior to taking my first wicket or two, I felt horrendous, and I remember playing the week before. Was it the week before? I think it was the week before against Knotts. Um, yeah, it was. It was the week before we played against Knotts. Uh, and I batted, I, I captained that game. Belly was injured uh, and I captained, I took over the, the reins for that game and I, I batted beautifully. I got 100 that game, but I bowled like an absolute drain and felt horrendous. Like, just couldn't get out of it. The things we talked about, like I tried everything. I just, you know, whether it was a technical glitch or it was a mindset, I just, probably one of the only times in my career that I was like, I, I'm, I just don't know what I'm doing. Like, I can't land two balls in the same area. Um, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know what it was. And then it got to that game against Durham, which was a week later. And I'd just been called up for, just been called up for for England um, to to play the Durham Test match because Stokes had hurt his knee. Um, I'd been called to play against Sri Lanka, and I um, I then took the wicket. I, I started the start the innings. I was bowling. I wasn't bowling great. And you know, I was thinking, oh, here we go again. This is just like last week. Can't get into a rhythm. Can't get into a groove. I think Stoneman was batting for uh, for Durham at the time at home. And he was whacking me to all parts. You know, he, he's one of those tricky players that you bowl at. And it's a bit tricky because if you don't get it full enough, he just picks you up and he kind of pulls and cuts everything. 
And I was thinking, this is a nightmare. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, do I try and bring it back to him? Do I try and take it away? And I knocked him over somehow. I tried to push one away from him and it kind of nipped back down, down the slope a little bit and hit, clipped the bales and bowled him. And it looked like a jaffa. But to be honest, it was a, a little bit lucky, to be brutally honest. And then after that, I, I couldn't tell you what it was, whether it was just the confidence of picking up a wicket or what. After that, I just the ball started swinging. Whether I'd got my wrist in a better position, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden it just clicked. And as you said, it just felt easy again. And if I knew what it was, it would be it would mean my career would be the easiest thing in the world because I'd be able to bowl like that all the time. But I just can't put my finger on what changed. And I was being able to, I was taking it away from the left-hander. Uh, I think I nicked off Scotty Borthwick. And then the load of right-handers come in, which I mean, in general, I enjoy preferred bowling to right-handers. Uh, and I just kept just nicking them off. You know, the ball was swinging, it was carrying. And it's just one of those days where, as I talked about and you spoke about, you're in that bubble where you just turn around, you put the ball in your hand, and you just know you're going to be able to swing it. You know you're going to hit the crease with good intensity. You know you're going to snap through. Your action's as good as it can be. And it was just one of those days. And yeah, it took nine for 34 or nine for 36, whatever it was. And That's all. That's all. Nine for 30. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just nine for 30. But I think, I suppose the moral of the story is what I'm getting at is the week before I felt the worst I could ever feel. And even prior to taking the first wicket, I'd felt horrendous. Um, so I suppose if there's any young bowlers listening in to this, I think that what I'll try and get through to them is that it does just take one small thing for something to click. Um, and sometimes you won't know what it is, but um, it's just just remembering that I think that that, that good spell or that good delivery is just around the corner. Um, I think one thing that just another thing to touch on there is that I've learned from numerous players, particularly at the top level is once you've finished a spell, you know, regardless how well or badly that spell has gone, you know, your next spell is a completely fresh slate. You know, you, you've got to then turn up again, put the ball in the right areas. It's more than likely going to be a new batsman, a different player. He might be on runs. He might be on naught. You know, you, wherever it is, whenever you take that ball for the next time, it's a chance to impress and a chance to perform, regardless of what's gone before. So um, it's always a good thing to remember. Brilliant. Top draw, mate. Um, if, we, if we now focus on more of the technical aspects, obviously you've, you've been a pro now and for, for you know, 13, 14, 15 years, or whatever it is. Are there any aspects of your game that you found, you know, well, what are the aspects of the game that you found most difficult to, to nail down, both with the bat and the ball? You know, anything that you've tried to master that you've just given up on, just be like, nah, this ain't happening, and you've just chucked them away? Yeah, I don't think there's anything that I've completely chucked away. I think there's still things which I'm, you know, at the age of 31, as I've touched on, as supposedly a, more of a seasoned pro now. There's things which I'm still trying to get better at, still trying to develop. So I still struggle with a leg cutter. Um, leg that is completely, you know, with me, someone who gets this side of it and tries to shape it away, to then be able to go that side of it naturally is quite tricky. I find that hard to control. Um, so that's something which, you know, I'm still constantly trying to tinker with um, and trying to get right. I by no means have the guts to go and try and bowl one of those in the game because I honestly just wouldn't know where it was going. Um, the slow ball back of the hands is a tricky one. Uh, I got to a stage where I had that down to a down to a T really. It was probably one of my go-to deliveries. Uh, and then I don't really know why, but kind of stopped bowling it. Um, I couldn't really put my finger on why that was, but that's something which I'll probably need to bring back, especially if I'm going to play more T20 and you never know with the 100, things like that. 
I think the more tricks you can have, the better. Um, but I think the the leg cut is certainly the one which I've you know I've almost just kept parking because I know I'm not very good at it, which is probably not a great mindset to have because unless you practice these things, regardless how good or bad you are at them, you're not going to get any better. So that's something which I really need to um, keep working on. And you know, again, it it might be a little bit of an excuse, but it is tricky being an international cricketer trying to to find the time to develop those skills. Um, just because of the fact that there's no real time, you're always in performance mode, so it, it can be quite. Yeah, for sure. Um, have you changed uh, your action much over the years? So you know, no, from a 17, no, 17, 18. Yeah, not really. I think the, there was a time where I needed to put more pace on, um, and I did tinker with a few things, but they're still pretty basic things. You know, I I, I increased the pace of my run up, and I used my front front arm a little bit more. So it's not like drastic changes um i did have to tinker a little bit i suppose over a, a longer period of time um you know it didn't happen overnight i didn't just bowl with a higher front arm and, and and running a bit quicker and then all of a sudden was bowling five mile an hour quicker you know it was a <clears throat> a gradual process um which lasted probably uh, a good two or three years really um and I had some good days and bad days with it um certainly when i first started doing it i lost a bit of skill couldn't swing it as much um, lost a bit of control um, and then slowly brought it, you know, they kind of met in the middle of it. I kind of lost my skill, but put the pace on and then kind of brought them closer together. Um, but as I, as I said, there was a lot of days where I, I took a step forward and then two steps back. Um, but they're the two big things which I changed really, to be honest with you, Jonesy. So psychologically then, during that time where you've, you've put a bit of pace on, but you've lost your skill, what was that like then? So were you tempted to go to revert, to try and get the skill yeah. back? Or were you yeah. trusting the process? You know, was the, what coaches were you working with at the time? Were they encouraging you to, to stick and trust? Yeah, I think, you know, if there's one thing I could change as a young cricketer, particularly when I got to like 19, 20, I'd had a bit of success in Kane cricket doing what I did, which was bowling like, I don't know, late 70s, 80 mile an hour max swinging it around and you know playing on fairly you know fruity pitches uh and taking wickets if i could go back to that time and you know there were certain coaches particularly Loughborough with kevin shine who was trying to just tinker with a few things to try and make me put on a bit more pace and i probably didn't just buy in as much as i probably should have done and thinking back if i'd have bought in earlier maybe i'd have played international cricket a bit sooner or you know, it might have come on, you know, I might have not had that two or three year gap of, of trying to get it to work. It might have been a bit sooner. Um, so I suppose that's the one thing I would say is maybe I should have learned or trusted coaches a little bit more back in those early days. But don't get me wrong, when I was going through that phase, I was like, God, should I just should I just go back to what I know? You know, I know I can have a great, great career in county cricket doing what I do. But I was really keen to try and push myself and make myself a better cricketer. And I felt like I had the ability to go on and play international cricket. Um, so therefore, I was really driven to try and do that. I'd had a little taste of it, um, playing ODIs down under and had relatively good success. But there was a couple of games where Shane Watson was just plonking his front foot forward and just banging me over the top. And I was thinking... I can't, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's some good players out there. Shane Watson, obviously, at the time was a world-class player. But I'm just going to get bullied at this level if I do, if I do what I do, you know, by pitching it up at, at no quicker than 80 mile an hour. So I think that was a big eye-opener. And at that point, because I'd had a taste of international cricket, 
I wanted more of it. You know, I wanted to, to, to be able to test myself against the best. And the only way I was going to do that for a sustained period of time was to get quicker. So um, that was kind of why I decided to, to do what I did. Well, you certainly did get quicker because, you know, at one, sta- one stage before, before Joffre and, uh, and Mark yeah. Wood were in the side, the glory yes. years, as you, the glory yes. years, as you called them earlier. Um, <laughs> you, yeah, you were the quickest bowler in the side. And, and, you know, much was made about your pace gains um, at the time, if I remember rightly. So what do you put those pace gains to, uh, down to? Uh, you might have touched on them just, but was it, was it just an increase in strength or, or do you think it was just like an accumulated effect of, you know, loads and loads of overs over the years, bowling, playing for Warwickshire consistently and then, then England, taking lots of wickets and, and just growing into a more sort of confident, established player? Yeah, I think it's a, it was a mixture, to be honest with you, mate, because I think I had... I, had, I mean, it's a tricky one because I like to say it was, it was solely down to a few technical changes, but I think it was an accumulative type thing. And I think there was times where people think, oh, he's been... I remember Bumble, I listened to some commentary after I bowled a quick spell, and I remember Bumble saying, oh, look, he looks stronger, he's been in the gym, you know, he's, he's filled out a bit and stuff like this. And I was thinking to myself, I'm doing less gym work now than I've ever done. <laughs> Um, that's what I'm talking. I'm sure we've had this chat before when I was when yeah. I was still playing with you at Warwickshire. I'm sure we've had this chat because that yeah. that's the that's the bit that came to mind. And it's it's not that I didn't do my gym work. I was do, I was doing plenty of gym work, but I just changed my program a bit. I wasn't lifting heavy. Um, I was concentrating on my like my lower legs, um, or say my lower legs, my, my my lower limbs, and my and my core strength. Um, and there was a few technical changes as well. You know, I was I was using my front arm a hell of a lot more. And I was, and I'd increased my my run up, but again, it was across a, a two three year period of trying to to get those those to work together, um, and that with a better gym program, you know, I wasn't lifting massive weights. I mean, I was lifting heavy enough, but it wasn't like I was squatting a load of, of weights. Um, you know, there was certain things with my knees which I needed to get stronger. You know, I needed to get my quads a, a bit stronger and working a bit better for me. And it was, it was, yeah, I suppose just a, a mixture of things and they all just came together at the right time. Um, as you touched on, a bit of experience as well. Um, knowing what my body could take. I suppose a part of it was, was not being willing to, to push my body a little bit harder. Um, you know, and, and when I did start bowling quicker, it, it hurt as well. Yeah, there was, I picked up a few injuries. Um, I started getting the odd tear in, in a couple of muscles here and there. Um, and, you know, waking up the next morning, it, it did hurt. Um, so, you know, fast bowling is not easy, as you know, and it's tough on the, on the, on the body. Um, and I think when I did finally put on a bit of pace, I, I, I felt it more on the body. Um, but again, I think it's a bit of everything. It was a bit of experience, knowing what my body could take, a bit of gym work, changing my program, um, along with a couple of technical changes and the, and the, and the, and the quicker run-up. But, um, and along with confidence as well, you know, confidence that I could run in and, and be able to bowl that pace as well. So a bit of a mixture of things, mate. But it certainly certainly wasn't just a matter of getting in the gym and lifting heavy. You know, that I'd like to stress that to any of your bowling. Of course you've got to be strong, you know, things do have to be strong and you know your action needs to be safe and things like that. But you know, it certainly wasn't just getting in the gym and lifting as heavy as possible. You touched on your injuries there a little bit, mate. And um Yeah. You know, you've spoken about your knee before. You know, that's something you've dealt with pretty much your whole career, I think. Um, yeah. You had the quad, the quad strain or the quad tear that kept you out. Yeah. Was it the Pakistan series? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then yeah. and then you know you had that side strain right at the start of the Champions Trophy where you you know you had to walk yeah. off the field. So, you know, yeah. I've experienced that on a on a much smaller scale as a player, like walking yeah. off the field. So, psychologically, what was that like for you? So, you know, one of the world's biggest stages, walking off the field. Um, you know, how, how what was that like to deal with? Well, that was up there with one of the biggest low points in my career, actually, um, walking off the field in that Champions Trophy game because it was kind of the mid mid road on the on the map to the World Cup final uh, to the World Cup, wasn't it? I think I'd been part of the squad for nearly two years from that since that 2015 uh, World Cup where we were we were awful, um, and it was, you just felt that we were building. We were building as a side. We we you know, I suppose earmarked that that tournament as one to to try and. You know, test ourselves against the world's best at home, with knowing that a World Cup was going to be there in two years' time. So, you know, I was really excited about being a part of that team and that squad. Um, was hoping that I could obviously play a, a huge part, but you know, to have to walk off after two overs was, um, you know, really gut wrenching, really. And I remember being in the physio room, knowing that I'd, I'd ripped my side a good, you know, I'd done it a good job on it. Um, and just almost being in tears, really, um, was certainly emotional. It was just like, you know, you do put in these hard yards, you work hard, do do all you can to you know, not only be fit and, and be on the park, but also perform and get yourself into the, an England and 11 isn't easy, you know. You know you've yeah. got to really put in some hard yards and perform well along a long period of time. So that was really, really frustrating. Um, you know, along with other injuries along the, along the way, um, it's something which I suppose you, you learn to deal with as a, as a pro. Um, you know, you, you know, particularly as a fast bowler, you're going to pick up the odd one here and there. You just hope they're not going to be, you know, long, big injuries, I suppose. You know, you're happy to, to have the odd break and, and get back in the gym and, 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 and strengthen things back up again. It actually gives you a little block sometimes. Um, but in particular, you know, that wind, that side strain, that put me out for in almost three months. It was a, it was a good... Uh, did a good job on it, but um, that was probably the toughest one of my career. How quickly were you able to sort of flip that mentality and go, right, I'm out for a long period of time here. You know, I've done my side. This is bad, but how quickly were you able to go, nah, this is, I'm getting back through this. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get back bigger, yeah. faster, stronger. I think after a couple of days of you, or a couple of days, three, four, maybe no longer than a week of, of you feeling a bit sorry for yourself, I think, you know, particularly whilst, you know, tournaments are still going on and games are still going on. You know, it's frustrating to be missing cricket, obviously, especially when you were supposed to be a part of it. I think the probably that that point's really good because it was a tournament because you were in that competition. Yeah. That probably intensified it, didn't it? Because the game yeah. coming thick and fast. You're, you're probably right. leaving the squad. Yeah, exactly, and that 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 is tough to take. And I think after a little while, you obviously it does it does you know it sinks in and you realise that it isn't the end of the world. You know, you still do have your health, which is the main thing, but. I think after a few days, I you know you realise and you're like, well, this isn't going to go away now. You know, the only way it's going to go away is by you doing the right things, eating the right foods, you know, being as professional as you can, and then when you are able to do things again and, and get your rehab on board, you know, thankfully I've got a really good relationship with the medical staff. You know, deal with England, um, and they those guys are brilliant, and and actually spending time with those guys, although you don't want to spend too much time with them because it means you're injured. They're actually good of good fun to be around, and they make rehab as as you know as active and as as fun as it can be, and it can be tedious at times. But um, you know, I think once you do that, and you know, and you you get it around your head that you know you need to take it seriously and make it 
your rehab done as properly and professional as possible because that's what's going to keep you on the park for a long period of time. Um, you know, I think you, you, you're good to go and you kind of get your, get your, your game head back on. And it's almost a competitive head um, to get yourself as fit as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, Ben Langley's a good guy to be around, so shout out to Ben if he's listening. Probably not, but... He's a good one. He's a good one. In fact, he's, um, he's sorting some of our, our back-to-training programmes coming up with this, obviously, return to training after COVID. So um, I've actually missed a qualifying today, so I should give him a buzz back. But uh, he's a good man. He's a top man. So thinking back again to when you first started playing, um, predominantly for England, um, are there any differences in, in how you approach your training and how you approach your games in, in terms of intensity? Do you only have one gear? Is it full throttle? Or do you try and strike a balance between sort of maximising outputs in terms of like being a fast bowler whilst also thinking about you know, prolonging your career? Yeah, I suppose that's a tricky one, really. Because I think whenever you go onto the field to play for England and you, you pull on that shirt, you're not only representing England and your country, you're representing yourself, your family. Um, you know, a lot of sacrifices along the way to try and get you there. It's not just a matter of playing another game of cricket. Um, so I always kind of keep the mindset of of going out there and playing, particularly for England, as if it's going to be be your last. Um, you know, you never know when when that's going to be taken away, and you know, there's always good competition places. There's always people knocking on the door, so you can never really just you know take your spot for granted. So for me, that's it's almost full throttle all the time for me. I think you know, it's just a, I think that's something which works for me. It might not work for everyone, but Wherever I play for England, I'm just like, right, this is 110%. You give it your all. You don't want this to be your last. So, therefore, you kind of play like it's your last to try and make sure that it's, you know, you keep getting a go and, and keep your spot in the team. Yeah, brilliant, mate. I think wrapping up now because I'm conscious of, yeah. of you uh, okay. to shoot off for, for an ECB call, mate. But, you know, hopefully that's been, um, that's been a great insight to into your career and hopefully there's been some some good things that guys can take away so i really appreciate your time mate and um wish you all the best for when you get back to training and hopefully the boys will be looking after you and yeah just want to say thanks again mate really appreciate it no worries cheers jonesy thanks for your time enjoy coming on hope it's uh hope it's a help to to anyone listening in So there you have it. That wraps up episode one of the Performance Principles podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it and took something away from it. Uh, whether you're a player or a coach, or maybe you're somebody involved in a different sport, but Wokes' insights have opened your eyes to a different way of doing certain things or a different way of thinking about certain things. Uh, now, it may or may not come as a shock to everyone, but I'm very much winging this whole process. I've got absolutely no equipment apart from my laptop and absolutely no idea what I'm doing. So any constructive feedback will be greatly received. If the sound quality is dodgy, uh, if it needs better editing, anything, please let me know, and I thank you in advance. Um, also, if you have any questions or queries about the show or anything you heard in the show, please get in touch. You can do that via Twitter or Instagram, uh, and the handles for those are both at four underscore principles. So that's at four, F-O-U-R underscore principles. Um, also, I just wanted to give a shout out to my mate Josh Poisden, who started his podcast on the art of spin bowling. So Josh is a leg spinner for Yorkshire, uh, and he loves going down the rabbit hole with all things spin related. 
Uh, it's very aptly named The Spin Badger, uh, and his first episode with Lancashire and England's Matt Parkinson was top draw. So go and check that out if you can. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening here, please subscribe to the show and leave a review. That would be great. If you think anybody you know would benefit from listening or would enjoy listening, please recommend it to them and get them to subscribe too. I've got some great guests in mind to join me in the coming weeks, so watch this space. And thanks again, everyone. Cheers. Mm-hmm.